tonight we're going to be, because we're coming into the holy season, we're, we're going to take a look at Passover. Um, you know, when Paul, Paul came and spoke, in, he was followed by this group called the Judaizers. And they, were, and they would come to the new Christians and tell them, oh, no, you, you, you need to also uphold all the, all the festivals and all the, the religious practices of the Jews. And I think that the church and Judaism split and, and went the wrong way. But it is, in fact, our roots. Our roots are birthed in Judaism. Our Savior was a Jew. Almost everyone who wrote in this book was a Jew. We can't completely depart from them, but we are not under the obligations of the Old Testament that they were, in, they were under. But there's a lot to be learned from the Old Testament that I think has been shaken off and chased away by the church. So I, I think that I want to just bring a little bit of that into tonight's service, as it were. We're going to start out in Exodus 12. Now, I use the New American Standard Version, so it's a little different than, than some of you. So, Exodus 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to, to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until the morning, but whatever is left of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. A couple of interesting things here. On the 10th of the month, this is the beginning of the Jewish calendar. This is the beginning of the Hebrew calendar. It says, this shall be your first month. It began the Hebrew calendar and their keeping. He said, on the 10th day, you're to take a lamb or a goat and bring it into your house and keep it for four days in your house. 
interesting that I don't imagine they lived in 25, 3,500 square foot houses. You know, being, being a slave in Egypt didn't probably pay that well. So they, they were very intimate with this animal. This animal was part of the family for four days. And if they had kids, kids obviously, you know, they named animals and embrace animals. And, and then after they got to live with the animal for four days, they, they, got, they slayed it. You know, and there, there's an emotional attachment there that the animal actually dwelt in their property. Now, there's a lot of people who said a lot of things on why they, the Lord had to do that. One of, the, one of the things that I've never heard talked about that's very dynamic about this is that the Egyptians used to worship sheep and goats. They were their deities. So, if we go back to the plagues, after the fourth plague, the plague of flies, Pharaoh kind of says, okay, well, you know, I'll let you guys go a little bit away and, and do your thing. And uh, then you've got to come back. And uh, Moses says to him, oh, what we're going to do is a complete and utter abomination to you and your gods. And you will stone us if you see what we're doing. Because we're, they're taking their things that they worship and slaughtering them and putting their blood on their doorposts. So that was very, that's a very dynamic thing. But remember, God said, I will judge their gods. So, I mean, he really, and the next day, there was great wailing in, in, in Egypt because everyone who was not covered by that blood lost their firstborn. And then they found out that they sacrificed all their animals. Now, if, if we, later on we read that, that the number of the men in this camp was about 600,000. So we have women and children, we're talking about a lot of people. There's you know, over a million people. So each household gets a lamb. We're talking about a lot of lambs. For 600,000, I mean, a, a lot of times they portioned 10 person per, per lamb. So 600,000 divided by 10 is 60,000. So 60,000 animals were slain. But the beautiful picture of this Passover is, why did God pass them over? Because they were great people? Because they went to the temple? Because they gave the blood? It's the blood. But I wonder in my heart, were there wishy-washy Jewish people who foo-fooed the idea of, of slaughtering an animal and doing all that? And the next day, realize the consequences of they missed it. Never, never occurred to me when it's something in this study. I thought about, wow, there must have been out of six hundred thousand people, there must have been somebody that was backslidden or whatever the case would be, and they might have lost their firstborn. So it's a very, very powerful picture the blood being the most powerful picture, that the blood was sufficient, not any act that they did, not anything. The blood on the doorpost was sufficient. If you had the blood on the doorpost, that was it. So, um, TJ, if you put up Genesis 1, I'm going to go back a little bit to Genesis in the beginning. God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs 
and for seasons and for days and for years. Now, when you dig a little deeper into this and you find out what he's saying, let them be for signs. The lights in the sky to separate the day from the night, let them be for signs. The, the Hebrew word there is, is oath. And it means a sign, a signal, a distinguishing mark, a banner remembrance, a miraculous sign, an omen, or a warning. And for seasons, and the season word is moed. And it's appointed time, a place, a meeting, a season, a set feast, or a tent of meeting. So God says that the lights in the sky are signs and signals for festivals and meetings. And then, uh, TJ, if you could put up Leviticus. We jump forward to Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, verse 2, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath, complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. That word convocation means a person, a place, a rehearsal, an assembly, or a calling. The Lord's Passover is the Lord's Passover. It's not a man's tradition. This is ordered by God that they would do this. And it's a rehearsal of a kind. They're going through this Passover event, celebrating this stuff as a rehearsal. The interesting thing about Passover, Passover happens... And then the next day after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days long. And then the day after the, the first Sabbath is first fruits. It's the barley harvest. So this is what they're celebrating. And the barley harvest begins the counting of the Omer. Maybe you've heard that term before. It's sheaves. It's 50 days to an event we all know called Pentecost, which is the wheat harvest. And, and, and we're going to bring up Deuteronomy. Do we have Deuteronomy 16? The Lord says this. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread and at the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall appear before the Lord and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord which God he gave you. So God has very specific instructions that we don't, as Christians, we don't, we don't do any of this stuff. But I'm going to suggest to you that anybody's ever done a jigsaw puzzle. I don't know if some people enjoy those jigsaw puzzles. I find them kind of frustrating. But the, the interesting thing about a jigsaw puzzle is, is you get this picture that comes with the jigsaw puzzle. 
And then you look at all these pieces, you go, okay, there's blue sky there, and you get some blue pieces together and start piecing the sky together. But what if you didn't have that picture? What if somebody just dumped all the pieces on the table and let you have at it? It'd be pretty hard. Darn near impossible for some of us. Well, sometimes I think that if we separate the things that God did in the Old Testament from the New Testament, it's a similar thing to that. We're, we're not able to put all the pieces together. For instance, the Hebrew calendar and the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar are completely different. You know, the Julian calendar was started in uh, January 1st of 45 BC by Julius Caesar. And then sometime in, I think the year 1532, Pope Gregory said, this isn't working out, the, the days aren't keeping track of because we are... Our lap time around, if you take a stopwatch and we're going to collect the earth going around the sun, it's actually 365.422 days long. So they got to fix it and they got to make up leap year and, the, and all this stuff. Now the um, Pope Gregory fixed the calendar for, in 1532. He skipped 10 days. And of course, this is the Catholic Church running things. He skipped 10 days. It took a long time for the whole world to get in, get in things. But we basically live by the Gregorian calendar. Now our year and the Jewish year are completely different. They're, they're in 5782 and we're in 2022. So, I mean, it's two different things. When I was in the military, we had two clocks on the wall, local time and Zulu time. Zulu time is Greenwich Mean Time. So if a commander said at 1300 Zulu, we're all doing this. Well, some people might be doing it at midnight. Some people are doing it at four in the morning. Some people are doing it one in the afternoon. But we're all doing it at the same time. Because if they said, hey, at one o'clock, everybody do this. Well, now you've got all these time zones and everybody's doing it at different times. So we've been a little out of sync with what the Hebrew calendar is. The, the first thing to know about... The Jewish day begins at sunset. Our day begins at midnight. Their day begins at sunset. So there's just a little bit of differences here. Now, the Jewish have a lot of holidays. Every holiday that Judaism has is on a full moon. With the exception of one holiday, Rosh Hashanah, New Year, which is on a new moon. Rosh Hashanah is the only two-day holiday. And it's a two-day holiday because back in the old days, if it was overcast, they wouldn't know when the new moon came. They wouldn't know when to start the new year. So it was, a, it was literally a two-day holiday. And every month, people would spot a new moon in the sky, and they'd run to the temple to tell them that they spotted the new moon, which is the beginning of the month in, 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 in a Hebrew calendar. If you are born under an Is Islamic calendar, you might have been born in the summertime. By the time you're 22, it's wintertime. Your birthday travels through the year because their calendar isn't adjusted for the, the solar cycle is strictly lunar. The Hebrew calendar is a solar and a lunar. But how do they keep the full moons on the holidays? They add every 19 years, they add 30 days. They add a month, basically, to the calendar. And this is what the Sadducees, Pharisees, and all the legal people do to keep the, keep the calendar on Earth. The reason for that is that you're supposed to come to the harvest with an offering. You're supposed to bring a barley harvest, but if now that that's feasts in the winter, there's no barley at harvest. So, so it's, always, it's, always, it's always doing right. So there's very significant things on the Jewish calendar. If, if we were to talk about 
July 25th and 1290, August 11th and 1492, August 1st and 1914, July 23rd and 1942, and August 14th and 2005, people wouldn't see any similarities in those dates. But you overlay the Hebrew calendar on top of those dates, and I'll tell you what happened to every one of those dates. They all happened on the 9th of Av. The 9th of Av is the saddest day in the Jewish calendar. The 9th of Av is the day that the spies came back from the land and said, no, we don't want to go there. In 587 BC, the Babylonians destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple, on the 9th of Av. In 70 AD, the Romans came along and on the 9th of Av destroyed the second temple. In 12, in, sorry, in AD 135, the Roman Emperor Hadrian crushed the last rebellion of Jews and 100,000 of them were slaughtered. In AD 1290, all the Jews were expelled out of England. In AD 1492, all the Jews were expelled out of Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. In 1914, World War I started. In 1942, the first extermination camp opened. The first trainloads of Jews left the Warsaw Ghetto. And in 2005, all the Jews were forced out of Gaza. Every one of these events happened on the same day. Not on our calendar, but in their calendar. It doesn't really sound all that impressive until I, I told Leslie the other day that, you know, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died on the same day, on the 4th of July. And that gets your attention because the 4th of July means something to us. The 9th of Av means something to the Jews. But is it coincidence that all these events happened on the same day? In 1894, Sir Robert Anderson, who is a knighted uh, investigator from Scotland Yard, put out a book called The Coming Messiah, The Coming Prince. And he, being a Scotland Yard guy, was, was very, very good at what he did. He did all this investigation into Daniel and the prophecies concerning Daniel's days. Anyway, so Daniel, Daniel 9 says there'll be, you know, seven weeks plus 62 weeks. And it's all about the prophecy of the Messiah. So he does the math and figures out, said it's 173,880 days concerning Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy says that from the decree, there'll be this amount of time. Well, the decree happens in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign when he turns around and tells they, the Jews they could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. That starts a clock ticking. A calendar, as it were. As, as the sun revolves, earth revolves around the sun, the moon around, 173,880 days. Where does that lead us to? It leads us to the 10th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan is called the Lamb Inspection Day. It is where God told them on the 10th to take the lamb and bring him into the house. Now Daniel writes this down. Many years later, Xerxes sets them free to do that, which starts a time clock. And it concludes with Jesus' triumphal entry into the eastern gate. 
And Jesus' entry in the eastern gate is on the 10th of Nisan when the lambs are being brought in. And in, in the temple life, there were, four, there were gates on the north, south, east, and west. The north gate is called the sheep gate. That's where they used to bring the sheep in for the sacrifice. The sheep were typically raised in Bethlehem. House of bread, Bethlehem, that's what it means. On the bread of life, Christ says, it comes from Bethlehem. The lambs are raised in Bethlehem. They're brought in through the north gate. And while they're doing this, they're seeing Psalms 113 through 118. That was what the priest did when they brought the lambs in for inspection. But on the eastern gate, there's this huge ruckus. Because Christ is coming with this whole entourage who's following him because this is right after Lazarus has been raised. He's coming from Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. And all these pilgrims are coming because in Deuteronomy we see that three times a year they have to be, they have to be at an appointed place and that appointed place was Jerusalem. So it was a feast time. So the pilgrims along the way and all those who've come through Bethany have heard you know, I mean, they didn't have Twitter and all that stuff, but word got around. Lazarus was raised from the dead. I mean, you know, Jesus' ministry was, was well known through the land. But he, someone came back from the dead. And they had a big banquet and a lot of people came, but all these pilgrims came and then people who were in Jerusalem came out and there's this, I mean, the population in Jerusalem was about 600,000, which is, about the same size as the number of men that came out of Egypt. But on the festivals, when everyone adherent to Deuteronomy came out, it would swell to a couple of million. So the city is swollen with people. And this entourage is coming to the gate and these people are coming out to the gate to welcome the Messiah as prophesied. And the sheep are coming in one gate and the the Lamb of God is coming in the other gate. And what are they singing when he's coming in? Hosanna, Hosanna, singing Psalm 118. The same psalms that are being sung on the northern gate are being sung in the eastern gate. Christ comes in as triumphal entry. But they did something that was not typical in Passover. They took palm branches and they waved palm branches. And palm branches, they're not part of Passover or the spring festival, they're part of the fall festival. The Feast of Booths, when they, everybody, they wave palms and they put them on the, these, these temporary shelters, these booths that they build to commemorate the, the time in the, in the desert. But they're waving these in front of Christ. This is totally off, out of what norm is normal for Passover. They're taking the fall festival event and, and waving it to Christ. Now, if we, if we see that there are two million people in Jerusalem, or maybe more, and there's one lamb per 10 people, we're talking 200,000 lambs being slaughtered for Passover. And it's, I, know, I know to us it's like, They, what they are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. And in Luke's gospel, the leadership says, Rabbi, tell, tell them to stop this. This is blasphemy. And Christ says, 
if they're silent, even the stones would cry out. This brings up another interesting point. Some people think that the stones he's talking about are the stones that Joshua stacked up when they came through the cross of Jordan. I'm not sure Christ was talking about the very stones that were there, but the stones, each one of those stones represented one of the tribe. An interesting thing about Joshua crossing the Jordan and the procession crossing the Jordan is they came to the Jordan at a swollen time. The river was swollen and Jordan is like 200 feet wide, but that time of year can be a half mile wide. And when they stepped into the river with the ark, the water was held back. Don't ask me where it went to because I don't know. It's one of those, it's a God thing. They all crossed. And then Joshua was commanded to have each one of them take a stone out of the river, put it on their shoulders, and set it in the camp where they camped at Gilgal. So each, each member of a tribe came and got a stone. And I, I kind of envisioned that there was competition. Like each one sent the biggest guy to carry the biggest stone because they want to be proud of their tribe. Well, anyways, they, they carried stones on their shoulders out of the river. And then if you read the story, and it, God didn't tell Joshua to do this, but he had others take 12 other stones and put them in. I, I, I can't find out why. I don't know why. I have no idea why. God didn't command him to do it, but he did it. No one would see it because it's underwater. Nevertheless, these stones were piled in Gilgal, and, he said, and God said, let them be so that your children ask what it's about, and you can tell them about this event that happened, a remembrance, an altar. Maybe that's the stones Christ talking about. I don't know. But what day did that happen on? What day did they cross? On the 10th of Nisan. It's God's calendar. He's, it's perfect. They cross over at the same time. When... One of the interesting things I found is that when Christ came in the Eastern Gate and there's a prophecy about the Eastern Gate in Ezekiel 44. It says, Ezekiel 44, 1 and 2, he says, Then he brought me back by way of the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces east and it was shut. The Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. And that was when Ezekiel wrote that 400 years before Christ. That gate was sealed up by the Ottoman Empire in 1541. It was reopened by the Crusaders and then sealed again. That gate to this day is sealed. And the, the, the Ottomans planted a cemetery outside to try to keep the Messiah from coming in the gate. But we know when Christ comes, he's going to go in through that gate. So we have the, now we have the Passover coming, the Seder meal. And in the Seder meal, they have matzah bread because it's unleavened bread. No leaven. You have to get the leaven out of your house. They go, they go and Get all the leaven out of your house. Any breadcrumbs, anything, you get it out of the house. That's where spring cleaning came from. You clean your house out. 
And one of the things that they did is the, the game they played with the kids is they would hide a piece of leaven in and the kids and the father would go with a candle and they'd go and search the house to find the leaven and get the leaven out to make it a fun thing. And they, they came with a candle, a feather, and a wooden spoon. And they would sweep the leaven on the wooden spoon and take the wooden spoon and put it in a piece of linen, fold it up, and then they burn it outside the camp. And the candle represents the Word of God. The feather, the Holy Spirit, this wooden spoon, the cross, and the linen. So one of the things they do at Seder meals now is they have a matzah bag. And the matzah bag has three compartments in it. And they put matzah on the top, matzah in the middle, matzah in the bottom. At the beginning of the Seder, they pull the middle matzah out, break it, wrap it in linen, and hide it. There are four cups that are drank during the uh, ceremony, the Seder. The first cup is of sanctification, the second cup of deliverance, the third cup of redemption, and the fourth cup of acceptance. So when they get to the third cup of redemption, they, they've taken this matzah, broken it, and put it in another bag. And that bag is, I have come. And they open it up and they break that bread. That bread. This is all a rehearsal the Jewish people had been rehearsing the events that were happening on that day for 1,500 years. And when Christ comes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and he throws over the money changers' tables and gets the leaven out of God's house. He gets the leaven out of his house. God, Christ fulfilled the Passover, fulfilled the festival of unleavened bread. And then when he rose, the feast of first fruits. He fulfilled all three of these holidays in this one event. You know, he cast the leaven out of the house. On the, on the morning, at 9 a.m., in the temple, the priests were binding the sacrificial lamb to the altar as they were binding Christ on the cross. And then we know that the earthquake came and we know that the darkness came upon the land. And then at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, what they call the ninth hour, was the time of the afternoon sacrifice when they were sacrificing the afternoon lamb. Christ died. Complete fulfillment of a Passover that they had been rehearsing for 1,500 years and they didn't recognize it. They missed it. God had them rehearse every aspect and Christ fulfilled every aspect of what was promised. And it's absolutely amazing. And there's a lot of contention on what year Christ was born, what year Christ died, I, I don't know. I know that there's a wonderful um, study that a, a, a scientist did, and it's, he has a DVD called The Star of Bethlehem, and he talks about what this conjuncture that took place in the sky and how the Magi knew something was happening. That most of us don't even know what phase the moon's in any day of the week because we don't pay any attention to that stuff. They lived by this. They, they lived by it. They lived by the moon. And, and you think about the festivals where always on a full moon. If you've ever been anywhere where there's no lighting, when the moon's full, 
it's a, you can see what you're doing. My friend and I were out jet skiing on, on a lake at midnight under full moon. You could see wonderfully. It's not just by chance that the festival's on a full moon, but you could do things at night. You could see things at night under a full moon. It's, it's also very practical. Now, in the year 33 AD, on April 3rd, which was Passover, an event happened. So ever see the time of year when the sun is setting and the moon is coming up almost at the same time? It's like they're, they're just like this. Well, sunset was 558 in Jerusalem and moonrise is 602. But when the moon came up, it was in eclipse. It was a blood moon. The reason it's, the moon appears red is because the, the light waves crossing the atmosphere of the earth, the higher frequency waves get canceled out and the lower frequency waves get through. And it bathes the moon, if you've ever seen it, in a, in a reddish tone. But it, I mean, the people of, of Jerusalem went through the darkness in the, in the center of the day, a major earthquake, and then the moon rose in eclipse as a blood moon. It lasted about 12 minutes and then it started, the shadow started leaving. But it, and I find the most amazing part of that is that when Christ spoke the universe into existence, he spoke that cycle. And he knew that, that cycle, that time. We don't see this, the heavenly bodies as a clock or a calendar because we, we you know, have technology. But that was a clock and calendar and it was going. Every one of these prophecies were the same thing. They were going. And I, I read one time this mathematician who did some of the things and said, for one guy to fulfill all the prophecies that Christ fulfilled was this astronomical event. And he, he compared it to painting one quarter blue and putting it in the state of Texas and filling the state of Texas with quarters to your knee and saying, now go find that one. I mean, that's a, it's an astronomical number. But God had it all worked out. You know, and this is the, this is the amazing thing about this thing we take a little for granted. The sacrifice that Christ made. And we come up for Good Friday, and we come for Easter, and we celebrate, and we do things. But I remember when I first became a believer in the first, you know, you, when I, you grow up, they always watch the Good Friday things and they nail the Christ at the cross. But they nail Christ at the cross the first time I saw it, and it's pouring out of my eyes, tears pouring out of my eyes. What changed? My heart changed. You know, my heart changed. Which is when we come to the Feast of Pentecost. Many believe that the law was given on Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost. Ezekiel writes, I take that heart of stone and I'll put a heart of flesh in. You know, we used to have that we used to have the tablets of stone, but now God's laws are written in our heart. And that's the message of of the crucifixion. That's the message of the Passover, is that you know it was all in the fullness of time it had to come. You know, the beautiful story of you go from the Old Testament and New Testament, there's there's just one page, but that's a four hundred year thing. 400 years, there was no word from God. 
And then, then this priest was at the temple doing his thing. And an angel appears to him. He says, Zacharias, God has granted you wish you're going to have a son. He's like, I'm an old guy. What? I needed a kid 20 years ago. What are you talking about? And the way he received it was such that the Lord didn't want him prophesying against John, so he sealed his mouth. He, wouldn't, he, wouldn't even, he came out of that temple and never got to speak. But if God had given Zacharias and Elizabeth their wish when they wanted a kid, John the Baptist wouldn't have been in season. So a lot of us hate waiting for things and we're waiting on the Lord, but his clock, his calendar is absolutely perfect. That's, that's what I have for tonight. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you're, you're perfect, Lord. Your law is perfect, Lord. So, Father God, let this word fall deeply in our hearts and, and let us reevaluate our, our commitment and our love to you, Lord. We want to dig into your word to know that you're so perfect, Lord. It's so complete, Lord. We thank you for this evening, Lord. I ask that you bless everyone that couldn't be here, Lord, and bless those who are sick among us. Father God, I, I pray, Father God, this Saturday you would cause the Holy Spirit to fall peacefully down upon the McDonald family and all those who come, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.